Okay, reading from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Well, uh, lovely to be here again <clears throat> with your friends. Um, I've... Uh, I had a little altercation with some off-milk this morning, so I'm not in, in my final hours of preparation, not entirely sure what came out, uh, but <clears throat> we'll see how we go. And I, I was thinking, that's actually probably, I can tell you the story later, uh, it's <laughs> uh, we'll see how we go, and I was thinking, it's actually probably uh, a good worked illustration of what's going on in this passage uh, you haven't come here to hear me or a person, you've come to hear God's word and by his spirit, to have that word planted in your heart and let it bear good fruits directly. God is at work among you and through his word, by his spirit. And we pray, I'm going to pray now actually, that he will do that. So let's, if you join me in prayer. Uh, our great God, we pray that by your spirit you might so move within us. Fill us, we pray, that as we hear your word to us, you will bring it to life that it might bear good fruit for your glory. We thank you, Father, that you love us, that you come to us. Uh, we thank you that you came to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we thank you that you have come to us in your spirit to make your home with us. What an immense privilege and gift. What peace that holds out to us. Oh, Lord, we pray... Um, that something of that peace and that gift might come home to each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, how is your troubled heart going? That's uh, the opening question. It's the same one we started with last week. Um, there's lots of troubles that uh, are for each of us um, on our hearts in different ways. As Jack mentioned last week, we rebooted this series in John's Gospel. Uh, and uh, we heard Jesus say those great words, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And if you hear last week, you remember, instead he, he urges his disciples to replace their trouble with trust. Uh, do not let your hearts be troubled, but believe in me. Trust me. Um, trust me. Uh, he urges his disciples to trust him, to know that he's got a plan and he's working it out. Uh, and if you remember from last week, this is all on the night before Jesus' death. So the second half of John's Gospel is all, well, most of it is set uh, in just a few hours as Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's about to come. It's all set in that night before Jesus' death. He knows that's on the horizon. And he knows that he's not going to be around anymore. So that's what he's um, preparing them for. And if there's anything that's going to cause a troubled heart for these guys... Well, that's going to be it. If there's anything that causes troubled hearts for us, it's often people going away. Um, some of the memories most etched in my mind from when I was a kid uh, are saying goodbye to people, I was realising. Um, the, the family who come to visit and you just have such a great time with the cousins and then you have to say goodbye. Uh, saying goodbye to friends. I used to um, uh, be a bit of a, a camp junkie growing up. I was a little little country kid, so these kind of big camps with other Christian kids were like lifeline to me. And I distinctly remember we had this thing called the post-camp blues where uh, uh, all of us would just feel pretty depressed for a few weeks afterwards. We'd be missing our friends, those feelings of sadness. Well, Jesus knows for these guys that a far more troubling thing is about to happen for his disciples. <clears throat> They're going to watch him leave uh, as he's arrested and crucified. Uh, they're going to see him taken away. And we saw last week Jesus begins to lay out why it is that they cannot let their hearts be troubled, even through all of that. Um, because what's going to, about to happen is not out of control. It's not a defeat for Jesus. Jesus is actually leaving them, if you remember, to prepare a place for them uh, with God forever is preparing a place and they can have certainty that they're going to be there because they know him and he is the way to the Father. Jesus himself is the way. But there's another really crucial thing that Jesus wants to teach his disciples as he's preparing them to say goodbye to him, to preparing them for his departure. Um, another really crucial reason why they can have untroubled hearts as they go through the next few hours, um, the next couple of days. And you can see how the two passages are both tied together. If you look down at verse 27 uh, of uh, the passage we read today, so you can see how this is it's really kind of two, two passages in one, two sermons over two weeks. Um, you can see how it's all tied together. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not, and he repeats the same words that he started with. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's the kind of overarching theme of what Jesus is saying here. He wants his disciples to have this untroubled heart deep within them. Uh, we'll see 
that the reason that they cannot let their hearts be troubled is not only because they have a future hope. That was last week, right? This reality that Jesus has prepared a place for them and they will be with God forever uh, in his house. It's not, but it's on, not only they do have that and it's incredible, uh, but Jesus says there's not just a glorious future that awaits you. Uh, it's not as if there's just something in the future and you just need to muddle around on your, by yourselves until then. No, Jesus gives them a glorious hope, but also an incredible present reality, an ongoing permanent new reality. He gives his own personal power and presence through the Holy Spirit. Um, so we're going to try and hear what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit and um, who he is and what he does in our lives in a moment. Uh, but first on, we, though, we need to reflect on who it is uh, that Jesus says are those who will receive this peace that he offers and he holds out, that he's talking about here. Who it is who are the receivers of his peace? Well, it's repeated through. You probably picked it up as we read through. Um, this repeated theme of loving Jesus and obeying him. Yet in verse 15, he, he opens it up by saying, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. We'll hear a bit more about that soon. But down to verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Uh, he keeps going, Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Another Judas says, basically, why is this just for us and not for the whole world? And Jesus replies in verse 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Uh, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Uh, and by implication, uh, my Father will... My, me and my father will not come to make our home with them. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Um, so the people who receive Jesus' peace are those who love him uh, and whose love flows out in lives of obedience. There's lots more to say here. Um, it's really important to, have, to be clear about what's going on here. Um, it's clear from other places in the New Testament that it's not uh, that it's not um, that we somehow earn God's love by our love for Him. Uh, that's not what's going on. Uh, if we are perfectly obedient, then God will love us. The same Apostle John who wrote this gospel also wrote in one of his letters that we love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. God's love comes first, it enables our own love, but then, uh, and in fact it's only through the Spirit's work in us that we can begin to love him at all. But what Jesus is saying here is that it's all a package deal, it all comes together. You can't have one without the other. Um, those who God has drawn to himself, who have heard the gospel and put their faith in Jesus, they will love him They'll have their lives geared towards obeying him and trusting his words, clinging to it and following it. And they will receive a, a particular love from the Father that he has for those who are his, for his people. Um, 
So the question is, do you love Jesus? Uh, do you delight in his love for you? Do you love him? And is that love expressing itself in a life of obedience to him? Um, I take it, and we're going to reflect more on this in a couple of weeks in chapter 16, but I, uh, I take it that we can expand what Jesus is talking about here in terms of his commands uh, to include all of God's word, all of God's word to us in the scriptures. But if you just look at Jesus' commands in John, yeah, there's lots of commandments like this. He tells people, uh, receive me, follow me, believe in the light, believe in God, believe me, abide in me, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are all sort of commandments that are scattered through John's gospel from Jesus. And those who love him will hear those uh, and seek to follow them and obey them. It may be that as we're talking about peace today, you recognise in yourself a troubled heart and it may be the reason you have a troubled heart is that there is persistent and ongoing disobedience of Jesus in your life. It may, it may not be, <laughs> there may be other things, but that would well be worth thinking about, wouldn't it? A relationship that doesn't honour him. A habit that draws you away from him and not towards him. An ungodly character trait that you've let grow, like a critical or a proud spirit. Um, what Jesus is saying here is that we cannot expect God's peace uh, while living in that kind of persistent disobedience to him. And it may be that today is a turning point for you. A day when you say to Jesus, yes, I love you. <laughs> and maybe even for the first time you say that. I know that you have loved me to the end. Jesus opens this whole section in John's Gospel. Oh, John opens it by saying Jesus loved his disciples to the end. And that's how deeply he loved, he has loved you. I know that you've loved me with an everlasting love and I love you in return but in this area I, I haven't been keeping your commands. Forgive me. Help me to repent. To really deeply repent of my mistrust of you. Of the way I look to other things to satisfy me when you alone are the one who gives living water. Help me. That would be a really wonderful place for you to get to today, wouldn't it? It would be wonderful because he will help you. He will help you. That's what Jesus goes on to talk about. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Um, see, there's, um, uh, what's going on there, with he, he kind of lives with you, he's, he's active and present with you, but Jesus says he will be in the future to these disciples gathered around him. He will be in you. Uh, Jesus has in mind there what's um, known in the Bible as the day of Pentecost. Uh, you can read about it in the book of Acts. 
the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had risen and gone to the Father, it was this unique turning point in history. Uh, God had always been at work through his Spirit, in creating and sustaining the world, bringing about his salvation plan, but this would be something new, when his Spirit would be at work in a new and more intimate way in the life of every believer. Um, and here's something incredible that Jesus wants his disciples to know. Um, he, he kind of fills it out more in, again in chapter 16, so in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, he tells them there this remarkable thing. He says, so just picture this. Jesus is with his disciples and he says to them, it is for your good that I'm going away. It's for your good. But it's here too. That's in a couple of weeks, so you know, hold your fire. Uh, but um, it's, it's here too, though, as well. The reason they can have this peace and not let their hearts be troubled, even though he's going away, is because after he's gone, he will actually still be with them in a much more transforming way, Full, a fuller way, even, even than if he was physically with us in person. Think about that. Jesus is saying that those who have the Spirit uh, actually have... A, in him, uh, uh, sorry, actually have him in a richer, more permanent way than if we were walking around with him 2,000 years ago. Uh, sometimes uh, you might find yourself thinking that. I don't know if you do. Um, if, only, if only I was there, right? If only I was there in person to really see Jesus, you know, then I'd really believe. <laughs> then I wouldn't. Uh, but Jesus doesn't see it that way. His leaving is actually paving the way for something even better. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. He's looking ahead to his resurrection there and the life that is on offer. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, skip down to verse 23. Jesus says, anyone who, we read this before, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. It was one thing to walk around with Jesus, to see his miracles and be there and hear his teaching. But he's saying, here is something. Um, even better than that, if possible. The eternal God come to live in us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, we touched on this last week, but it's worth just reminding ourselves again of this wonderful, glorious reality of God as Trinity that Jesus reveals to us. Jesus fully reveals God as the one who is Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one God. So I hope that song's still going around in your head, and uh, you can sing it through the week. Three and one and one and three. Uh, there's no picture that really captures it. You might have heard the illustration of water. Uh, water can be ice, water, and steam, three different kind of modes, uh, but all the still, still water. There's something there, but if you press it too far, uh, it's actually an ancient heresy called modalism. I can tell you about that later. Um, God putting on three different masks and acting as one or the other 
at any one time. That's not what's going on here. It, it, it's something that we can't actually find a, um, a picture to fully comprehend because it's unique. Um, the God revealed by Jesus is one God eternally existing in three distinct persons, each united in love, each acting in a particular way but always in complete unity and harmony with the others according to their one divine will. Okay, that's a long and complicated sentence, but um, their unity is so complete, and that's what you see here. Um, that, so Jesus is talking about the Spirit coming, and do you see how when he's talking about this, it's almost, uh, it is as if, it's not as if, actually, it is the fact that when the Spirit comes, Jesus is there. Um, verse 17, he says, The Spirit will be in you, I will not, verse 18, I will not leave you. I will come to you. Verse 23 includes the Father. We will come to them and make a home with them. When you have the Spirit, when you have God's Spirit in you, you have God in you completely, wholly. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. According to Jesus' own word, this is the reality for every person who trusts him. Every person who, by his grace, loves and obeys him. The one true and ever-living God who made all things, who rules over all things, who is bringing all things to his good end according to his good purposes, his personal power and presence is at work in you. He has made his home with you. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, a few quick things about the Spirit. Uh, just to pull out from this passage, um, it's, that's helpful for us to know before we kind of wrap things up in a, in a, in a moment. But a few quick things. Uh, you notice as we read through the passage and uh, that the Spirit is not, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a he, not an it. Uh, it's not an impersonal force. It's not Star Wars. Uh, the very personal God is at work in his world, at work in your life by his Spirit. Okay, so it's a he... Uh, I, I just said it, didn't I? The Spirit is a he. He is he, a person, not an it, not an impersonal force. The Spirit is also, though, I think this is really important for us, the Spirit is not a tool, um, something to be kind of used or manipulated by us for our own improvements, for our own experience, kind of like a shot of adrenaline. I don't know if you've ever had a shot of adrenaline. I have once when I had a, a bad uh, reaction to something. And man, that was crazy. Uh, I was on a high for hours. Uh, we, can, we can kind of think like of the Spirit like that. Just give me another shot, Lord. As if the Spirit were a product that God dishes out. Uh, no, the Spirit is God. One of the ancient summaries of the Christian faith called the Nicene Creed put it like this. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son 
and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. We don't kind of use the Spirit like a, like a product. We worship and glorify Him, along with the Father and the Son. And we receive Him. We receive from Him all that He has for us. And there's two things here. There's more than what's in here. We're just trying, going to try and pull out from Jesus' teaching here. Now, there's more than what's here, but two things that really stand out here about what it is the Spirit, what, what His work in us is. Uh, you notice um, when at the start in verse 15, Jesus calls the Spirit another advocate. Um, it's a, a bit of a difficult word that, you know, to come across in English. You might have a Bible that says another counsellor or another comforter. Um, talking about what the Spirit is. It's, they're all kind of trying to get at this idea. It's something that has a legal overtone. That's why in our church Bibles you've got written there another advocate, someone who sort of advocates for you, stands for you and speaks for you. Um, but it's also got this really rich relational warmth, a personal idea, someone who stands with you and supports you, speaks for you, who helps you. So friends, if you by God's grace, have put your faith in Jesus and have come to love him and seek to live your life with him as your Lord. That is, that's another way of saying, if you have his spirit living in you, then you have a permanent advocate, comforter, counsellor, friend. And you just think about that. God is committed to you. He's committed to you, to growing you, to helping you to keep his commands. He speaks for you when you don't have words to speak. There's that great passage in Romans 8, if you want to look that up later, where it speaks, tells us of the Spirit who speaks for us in our weakness with wordless groans. The Spirit is our advocate. The Spirit is also, though, an advocate in another way, um, speaking to us, um, to our own hearts, confer confirming to us that what Jesus says here is true, that we are not orphans, that we are loved by God the Father, that he has come to make his home with us, that we are part of his family. Again, from Romans 8, another great passage on the Spirit. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Um, if you think about adoption, that's what's on view here. Um, I've known a number of people who are adopted. Um, uh, and the thing about adoption is the moment that the papers are signed, it's a reality, right? Um, it's, a, a, it's a legal reality. It's an actual fact reality that those kids are now in your family. There's a reality to it. When someone's adopted, they legally they, they, sent, they enter into the family straight away. Um, but it takes time, doesn't it, uh, and lots of work by the parents to help the child sort of feel that, um, to help that objective reality become a inner subjective reality, an experience. Um, as a similar thing going on here. We've been adopted 
through Jesus' work on the cross. Uh, the papers have been signed. It's all legit. It's all signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, but it's the Spirit's great work to take that objective reality and make it, bring it home to your heart, make it a subjective one, to help us not just to know that objectively we're in God's family, but help you to know that you are God's child, that he has come to you and made your home, his home with you. So that in our own spirits we can know God as our Father. Well, how are we going? This is about when my um, off milk started to kick in, so uh, we'll see how we go. There, there is another, there is another thread here, though. That's uh, through this passage. There's another thread. Don't worry, I'm, it's in control. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, we're not going to spend much time on this thread because it comes into much more focus in chapter 16. Uh, Jesus calls the Spirit here the Spirit of Truth. Um, who, and he promises dis, his disciples, if you notice through the passage, he promises his disciples that he will teach them all things and remind them of everything he said. Um, we'll see that in a couple of weeks. Um, uh, uh, but what Jesus is getting at here, I think, is... Um, Actually, the Spirit's work in the writing of the New Testament. Um, and we'll reflect on that uh, in a couple of weeks. Jesus is getting at that. He, he wouldn't be with them, and they might start to worry that they'll just forget his teaching or get it wrong. Might be some Chinese whispers going on. Yeah, he says, don't worry. The Spirit will remind you, and you will faithfully pass on the gospel, my teaching. Uh, that's what we have in the pages of the New Testament. What a gift that is. We're going to reflect more on that in a couple of weeks. Uh, let's wrap things up, friends. Um, the last few verses of this passage, you see there, um, everything is made possible. All of this is made... We talk, looked about at our love for Jesus and our obedience to him. It's all made possible for by his love for his Father and his loving obedience to him at the cross. Um, verse 31... You see that, don't you? Um, he knew, Jesus knew, knows his great trial is coming. The prince of the world, Satan, would have his day. Jesus would be crucified. But it was all part of God's plan of salvation. Uh, and Jesus himself, out of love for the Father, obeys him, gives his life willingly so that you might have life. Um, Verse 31, he comes so that the world may learn. This is uh, talking about uh, the prince of this world. He's saying, don't worry when all this happens. You can look back and you'll know. And the world would know that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember God's love for you. And ask him for help. Ask him for help. He is your helper, and he's there to help you. He's there now. He's there when you fail. He's there when you feel dry. He's there when you feel full of joy. He's there through every season. And it may be for you that it's just a spiritually dry patch right now. They come for all of us. Um, 
It is God by his spirit who can take the objective truths of the gospel and breathe life to them again into your, in your heart. So ask him. Ask him to do that. And if it doesn't happen straight away, keep asking him. Um, it might be that though that you're on the edge of Christian things, just figuring stuff out. You need to do that. Uh, God gives us minds to do that, to work stuff out and figure things out. But according to Jesus here, it, we need to remember that being a Christian isn't about getting it all sorted, figuring it all out, and then deciding to come on board. Uh, being a Christian is fundamentally a work of God in your heart, in your mind, in your life. It's something that only he can do for you by his spirit. So again, the only, the, what, the only thing to do for you uh, is to humbly come to him and ask him. To ask him that this might be true in your life, to help you, to make his love real to you, to ignite in you a deep and trusting, obedient love for him. That's when you'll hear Jesus' invitation with fresh ears. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the precious gift of these words to us. Inspired by your own Holy Spirit written down by the apostles, by the apostle John here. We thank you for this account of Jesus' words that we can trust. And not only for the words themselves, but for the reality they speak of. We thank you that you did not leave us as orphans, but you, led us, you, you gave us um, something even better than if we were walking around with you. Someone. You came to us yourself in the person of your spirit. Thank you, Father, for the things we've talked about this morning and we've heard from your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that you might take these realities for each of us and by your spirit make them come alive. Lord, I pray for those of us who just are feeling dry this morning. Um, ignite us again with the reality of the gospel, we pray, with the truth of your word with the glorious news of what Jesus has done for us. Those of us who are still figuring things out, Lord, work in us by your Spirit. Draw us to yourself. We come before you and ask for you to do your work in our lives wherever we're at. We thank you for your promise that you are doing that. Uh, and we thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen.